You are listening to a Sunday sermon from St. Thomas Episcopal Church in Bellevue, Washington. We are a community that seeks God's presence, serves Christ in others, and grows together in our faith. Welcome to our podcast. The following sermon was preached on the second Sunday after Pentecost, June 14, 2020, by the Reverend Lex Breckenridge, Rector at St. Thomas. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. Is there a difference between optimism and hope? What do you think? I'm by nature a generally optimistic person. I generally think the world is improving, that things will get better rather than worse. Now my optimism sometimes, maybe more than sometimes, doesn't work out. This or that thing doesn't turn out to have improved tomorrow on what it was yesterday. But I guess it's always going to be my nature to be optimistic. How about you? Take a moment and think about it. Are you generally optimistic or pessimistic? Do you generally expect the future to turn out well or badly? If you're of a certain age, you may recall the cartoon strip, Little Abner. There was a character whose name I can't recall, who walked around with a rain cloud perpetually over his head. Nothing good ever happened to him and he didn't expect it to. He was the eternal pessimist. Now optimism and pessimism both have their uses. Optimism, if it doesn't lead to rash behavior, can invite us to take risks. Pessimism, if it doesn't paralyze us, can invite caution and prudence. So hold that thought for a minute, and let's turn to our reading this morning from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. He's writing to a community that's under siege. They're experiencing persecution and oppression at the hands of the state. 
just a few years before this letter was written in about 54 AD, Jewish Christians had been expelled from Rome by the Emperor Claudius. And while his successor Nero had allowed them to return, the state viewed them and their Gentile Christian friends with deep suspicion. So it was no easy thing to be a Roman Christian. And it's into this context that Paul writes to them. And it's into this context, a beleaguered minority community, that Paul writes to encourage hope. Now let's stop and say a word about hope. The reason I went on and on a minute ago about optimism is that hope and optimism are sometimes assumed to be the same thing. I mean, I hope I win the lottery. I hope the Saints win the Super Bowl this year. That's not really hope. That's wishful thinking. Optimi optimism and its opposite pessimism are beliefs about the future. Optimists expect the future to be improvement over the present. Pessimists expect the future will turn out badly. Now, hope and its opposite despair are all about the present. Hope holds that the present moment is worthwhile. The present moment contains goodness. Hope says, how can I be part of this goodness? Despair says it's all pointless, so why bother? So an optimist plants her garden, assuming the rains will come, assuming the sun will shine, assuming the plants will grow, and assuming the harvest will be good. But the hopeful gardener plants without having to know what's going to happen. The possibility of the harvest is worth creating the garden. It's the act of planting itself without having to know the outcome that's the great act of hope. So what we hear Paul say this morning to this beleaguered minority community in Rome is about the present moment. They, like all who trust in God's promises in Christ, are justified, meaning set right, you know, like you justify the margins of a document. They're set right, they're justified by faith. So that, as Paul says, we have peace with God through our Lord, Je through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have access to this peace in which we stand. Now, peace, peace in Christ, isn't about the absence of conflict. Peace is about connection and solidarity with God and connection and solidarity with others. Knowing that we come from God and we'll return from God, and we'll return to God, and so will our neighbors, the ones who look like us and the ones who don't look like us. That's true peace, knowing those deep connections. Peace in the midst of the storm, peace in the midst of the turbulence. And we stand in that peace. You, so, you see how it's all grounded in the present? We stand in that peace, and as Paul says, we boast in our hope of having the glory of God. So standing in peace, we have hope. Now, here comes the real counterintuitive part. We not only boast in our hope, Paul says, we boast in our suffering. What? Boast in our suffering? I mean, come on, who wants to suffer? Not me, that's for sure. But here's a profound spiritual truth. Real, lasting transformation. Real, lasting transformation for persons, for institutions, for systems 
most often occurs through great suffering. It's the story the prophets tell. It's the story that Jesus tells. It's the story that Paul tells. Our foundations have to shake and maybe even crumble. The walls erected for defense have to be torn down before life and, and new life can enter in. I mean, check it out in your own life. The most mature, grounded, self-aware, wise people I know reflect this sort of chemical chain reaction that Paul describes. Suffering produces patience, and patience produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Who can deny that we are in a time of great suffering? Physical and societal and systemic diseases have been exposed like never before. So we as Christians have a choice before us. We can live in hope or we can live in despair. Despair will inevitably lead to paralysis. I mean, it's all going to hell. There's nothing I can do. So who can I blame? Hope, redemptive hope in Christ, will lead us to act. And for me, a 68-year-old white male born into relatively modest economic circumstances, which nevertheless carried with it every perk and privilege of a culture built to provide advantages to people just like me, a next step for me, not the only step, but an important one, is to recognize how different my experiences and expectations and advantages are from, say, an African-American man of the same age. We may live in the same country. We may speak the same language. We may worship the same God. But significant parts of our worldviews will inevitably be different. Now, here's an example of what I'm talking about. What I'm about to share with you was written yesterday by a friend of mine in Austin. He's a college professor and a theologian. But most importantly, he's a husband, a dad, and a Christian. My friend writes, As I pulled up in front of the house yesterday and started unloading, a car pulled into our cul-de-sac. Not too close, but close enough to know they were waiting on me. As I bumped the door closed, my hands full, I saw a black man in his 30s standing at the door of a pickup truck. A boy about Sophie's age in the passenger seat. He asked me if this was 7905 our address, and I said yes. Then he stepped from the door of his truck, his hands raised a little, his palms toward me, and stopped some distance away, further than required by social distancing. He told me his name, the name of his son, said he attended Doss Elementary School with our Sophie. We're here to pick up his class t-shirt, he said. I realized all of a sudden that all of this, the posture, the detailed explanation, the distance, even his waiting to address me until I would gathered all things from the car was to put me at ease to let me know he belonged in my neighborhood, 
that he was not a threat of some sort. And I was stricken. Of course, I said, I nodded. I think I saw a bag with your name on it on the front porch. My hands were full, but I motioned with my head, come on up. We walked together toward the front door. He picked up the bag and smiled at me. On his way back, he stopped in the driveway, turned back toward me. Have a blessed day, he said. Then he climbed in the truck and handed the bag to his son, who excitedly pulled his t-shirt out, and I went into the house. I did not feel blessed. I felt wrecked. Two dads who loved their fifth grade graduates, one white, one black, two very different experiences and two very different lives. I'm haunted by his hands, slightly raised in plain view. I mean no harm. By his son, watching the entire interaction, learning probably for the thousandth time how a black man has to act to make clear he is not a danger. By the fact that I never ever felt the need to give my two sons the talk, the conversation in black families about how a young black man can maximize his chances to come home alive and unharmed. And I'm haunted that I'm only now in my life, recognizing in ways large and small how people of color are forced to compensate in ways I've never noticed because I never had to. So here's my work. If I'm to live grounded in hope, grounded in Christ-centered hope, my first step is to repent. But wait a minute, Lex, you didn't do anything wrong. It's not your fault that you were born white in post-war America. You know, whether or not that's right, and that's, you know, we hear that all the time, but whether or not that's right, that's beside the point. When Jesus called his listeners and his disciples and the religious authorities and the crowds to repent, he didn't necessarily have in mind any specific acts or non-acts. You know, most things we, we shouldn't do, they're all just symptoms of an underlying disease called sin. Sin meaning separation from God. Jesus' call to repentance is a call to change. In the Greek in which the Gospels are written, Jesus uses the word metanoia, which gets translated into uh, repentance. Metanoia literally means to turn around, to change. Jesus is saying to you and to me, turn your life around. Wake up. Grow up. To repent is to be called to the grace-filled humility that allows us to see the other as he sees himself. To have the character to acknowledge not only my own brokenness, but the brokenness of a culture that's benefited me at the expense of others who don't look like me. And then to be in prayerful discernment about how I can do my part to bring lasting change so that all of us, 
Every single one of us made in the image and likeness of God might flourish and thrive. Here's how my friend's story concludes. I can't believe I've been asleep my whole life. A couple of years ago, Van Newkirk and I were on stage at Washington National Cathedral, and he was telling us about Dr. King's last Sunday sermon, preached from the Canterbury pulpit just behind us. Dr. King had related the tale of Rip Van Winkle, who fell asleep and awakened in a world that had completely changed. Don't sleep through a great revolution was Dr. King's message. And I guess it's also mine today. And also this. I offer it in love, with regret, with thanks, in hope. Have a blessed day. May that Holy One of blessing give us the strength and courage to change. Amen. For more information about St. Thomas Episcopal Church, please visit our website at www.stthomasmedina.org. Dog.